We have victory. And it's a great day to worship the Lord. I can just feel it in the air. And I'm so glad that you're here. And that's going to be an awesome time studying God's Word together. Looking forward to starting a brand new series of messages today. Can't Steal My Joy. Is anybody excited for a new series today? Thanks so much for being here. You can find a seat today. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Luke's Gospel, the New Testament book of Luke, and chapter number one. And over the next three weeks, we are going to be studying from Luke chapter number one. And we're going to study the Christmas narrative and studying from Luke chapter number one and kind of the inauguration and the commencement of the Christmas story and, and uh, how Elizabeth and Zacharias found out that they were having a child and how Mary and Joseph found out that they were having a child. And so I'm looking forward to studying this over the next several weeks. And Luke chapter number one is where we're going to be. If you're ready to jump into God's word today, would you say ready? Go ahead and leave it in the chat today if you're watching online, ready. And I'm excited about Luke chapter number one, starting in verse number five. The Bible says this. There was in the certain days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, his lot, everybody say his lot. His lot. Leave it in the comment section today online. His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and a fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy. You will have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you and to sing praises of your name. And God, thank you for uh, the first service and those that prayed to accept Christ in, in the first service. And God, I pray that you would do a great work in our midst right here and right now. God, I pray that all of us would be able to put away any distractions or anything that might be a hindrance to us receiving your word today. I pray that we can leave this place with a better understanding of how we can live with joy and what it means to, uh, to be a true follower of you. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or watching online today that does not know you as their Savior, that today they could know that, and today could be the day of salvation for them. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
How many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Anybody like that? Uh, that's never a good feeling, right? If someone takes something that belongs to you. And uh, I was reading a story this week about uh, three moms from New Jersey that walked into a store last year in August, and they did so for the purpose of stealing a stroller. And they all had this plan together. These three moms, two of the moms were going to go and distract the employee, and then one mom was going to grab that stroller, and she was going to walk out. And they did it, and their plan worked, and they stole the stroller. One problem, one of the moms left their baby inside the store, left the child inside the store. I think we have a picture of the, uh, of the news uh, clipping. She left her child, and so she had to come back into the store to retrieve back her child. And when she came back in, she was arrested uh, for uh, stealing that stroller. These were not the smartest criminals. And I thought about that, and I thought it's interesting that in Scripture, our enemy, the devil, he is described as a thief. He's a thief, and he's not like these three moms who are kind of uh, uh, just doing this on a whim and not very uh, uh, smart or calculated about this. The enemy that we have, the devil, is very calculated. He's very focused, and he wants to steal the joy that you have from you. John 10.10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so his primary purpose is to steal from you. Now, there are certain things that we know that he can't steal. Uh, he can't steal our salvation. Uh, he can't steal that inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven, that incorruptible, undefiled inheritance. He knows that he can't steal that. And so he has his sight set on your joy. Because he knows that if he can steal your joy, he can slow your purpose. And so he wants nothing more than to steal the joy that you have from you. And so that's why it's no surprise in our world today that there's a shortage of joy, that people are angry and people are agitated and they're, they're trying to find and to discover a happiness. And there is just a depletion of happiness that's taking place in our culture uh, today, except for maybe in the country of Finland, because Finland for the third time, according to the World Happiness Report, has been voted the happiest nation on earth three times, back to back to back champions of happiness and uh, the United States, we got number 18 on the list. And uh, uh, they are happy over there in Finland. But I thought about that and I thought, why is it that even for followers of Jesus, uh, joy is no longer an anchor. Joy is now an anomaly. Joy is something that uh, is few and far between. I don't know about you, but over the last several weeks and even months, there's been many things that have happened uh, in our world that have uh, been an attempt to embezzle and steal joy from us. And uh, even just this past week, uh, Katie and I, we were trying to do online uh, school with our kids. How many other parents are trying to do online? Anybody like that? It's, it's a frustrating experience at times, right? And uh, trying to do online learning. Well, not only that, uh, the power at our house this past week went out uh, because of these safety power shutoffs, right? And so we're trying to do online learning with no online, right? Just offline learning. And uh, so that was uh, frustrating for me. So I, uh, there was a day last week, I think it was on Wednesday, where I was just frustrated. I was just kind of walking around agitated, like, you know, I can't go to school and can't have internet and this is not. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me, like, are you ready to preach on joy this Sunday? Because that's the topic coming up. And uh, so I had to kind of reel back in for a second and remember, okay, the devil can't steal my joy. But I thought about this verse that is in John chapter 16 where Jesus is talking and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful. 
But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more that anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. Hey, Jesus says, I can give you a joy that nobody can steal from you. And so it doesn't matter who offended you or who mistreated you or who belittled you or if the power goes out or if uh, there's no money in the bank account. Hey, my joy is not linked to my scenario. My joy is linked to my Savior. My Savior is Jesus Christ and therefore my joy cannot be stolen. Jesus says, I can give you a joy that no man can take from you. And so today we're going to discover how we can live with a bulletproof joy. S.D. Gordon He was a Christian author. He also helped start the YMCA organization. He said this, joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. But joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry. No matter what happens, only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within even had joy. As we're going to start reasons, uh, Luke's gospel was a letter written to a man named Theophilus. And Theophilus was a very wealthy man who was inquiring about the person of Jesus Christ. He was, he was searching and wanting some questions answered about Jesus. Is uh, Jesus really who he says he is? And can we really trust Jesus? And so he, he hired Luke to go and he funded this project for Luke to go and to uh, investigate and to interview the eyewitnesses and, and get the story and the account of what happened with Jesus. And, and uh, what's so interesting about Luke is the reason that Theophilus wanted Luke to uh, perform this assignment is because Luke was a trustworthy historian. He was interested in the facts and the details. And so for years, many authors, uh, even outside of the Christian circle, even secular authors have looked to Luke's writings, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and they have, they have revered them greatly because they are uh, trusted historical documents. And so uh, Luke is writing uh, about the person of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, over 19 times he mentions joy in rejoicing. And so uh, he's talking about how to live a life of joy, and he's uh, uh, describing the life of Jesus. And we see this even in chapter number one. Now, to kind of give us our bearings a little bit, let's notice verse number five, and we can kind of pick up the context of what's taking place. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Amen. Leave it in the comments today online. Uh, Amen that you're with me. And uh, verse number five says this, there was in the days of Herod, uh, Herod was Uh, an evil king. Okay, he was an Edomite. Therefore, the Jews did not view him as the rightful heir to the throne. They did not respect him. They did not like him. He was an evil man. He was a murderer. He was a tyrant. So this was a dark time. Okay, is everyone tracking with me so far? So this was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so the text zeroes in on, and our narrative zeroes in on a couple, this godly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And even in a dark time, even in a dark time, they were about to experience great joy. And so through this narrative today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to identify four thieves that want to steal your joy. Four thieves that want to steal your joy. Are you ready today? Number one, the first thief is the thief of disappointment. This narrative really begins with this couple that was experiencing a major disappointment. Notice what the Bible says in verse number six. And they were both righteous before God 
And uh, that means that they were declared righteous, that they were justified by faith uh, in God. So these, this was a godly couple, righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, blameless. But verse 7 says this, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And so in verse 6, we learn that they were blameless. They were walking a holy life. But in verse 7, we see that they were barren. And it almost seems unfair. They were living a godly life. They were righteous. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They loved the Lord, and yet they were barren. They were going through a season of disappointment. Now, infertility in any culture is an aching disappointment. But in ancient Hebrew culture, uh, infertility uh, was viewed as a disgrace. It was something shameful. It was something you did something wrong. Your parents did something wrong, and that's why you can't have children. In fact, uh, many people uh, said that childlessness needed to be uh, a woman that uh, was uh, a barren was to be punished. In many cases, so in some cases, they said that childlessness was grounds for divorce. And so this was a burden and, and, and a disappointment that Elizabeth carried with her wherever she went. It felt the stigma and the shame that was accompanied with that. And so this was something that was emotionally devastating for Elizabeth. But this was also something very difficult for Zacharias to hold on to. Because uh, Zacharias having uh, no children, uh, in, in this day, we have to understand in ancient culture, they didn't have hospice, they didn't have retirement homes, they didn't have um, social security. And so if, if you didn't have children, you had no one to take care of you when you were older in age. And so Zacharias, there was a financial burden here as well, and they were walking in disappointment. This was a season of aching disappointment. But I want you to notice what this godly couple was doing in their disappointment. Are you ready? Notice verse 8. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. And so what do we find Zacharias doing? He was serving the Lord. Even in a season of disappointment, he said, you know what? I still have a job to do. I still have a calling to carry out. And so even when he was disappointed, even when he was struggling, he, he and his wife were still faithfully serving the Lord. And what we learn is that they were serving even when they didn't get what they wanted. Even when they didn't get what they wanted, they were still serving. See, a lot of times we serve just so we can get something. But if you're serving God to get something, you're not actually serving God. You're serving yourself. That is a prosperity theology where it's like, I'll serve, but I need something in return. But we do not serve to get something in return. We serve because he first loved us, and it is our reasonable service. And so I want to encourage you today, even when you're going through a season of aching disappointment, to keep on being faithful and to keep on showing up. And whether you are showing up in the chair or whether you are showing up in the chat, can I encourage you to keep on showing up and don't let disappointment steal your joy. Zacharias and Elizabeth were hurting a season of barrenness, but they kept on showing up. They were serving. Arthur Pink said this, faithful people have always been in a marked minority. It's hard to find faithful people, but God is not concerned with our ability. He's concerned with our availability. Are, are we here? Are we showing up? Are, are we faithful? And so we see their burden, but I want you to see they're about to have a breakthrough. And I'm thankful that we worship the God of a breakthrough. And, and I want you to see their breakthrough. And it starts in verse number nine. Notice what it says. According to the custom of the priests 
office. Now we have to pause right there for a second because I want you to understand that you might think, man, Zacharias was a priest and, and, uh, and uh, man, that, that must have been a really high, high position, but not really because during this time there were more than 20,000 priests in Israel. And, and so uh, Zacharias was not even a priest at the temple. He was a priest in an obscure uh, village in kind of a small town. And, and so there was a lot of priests during this time, but what's about to happen was a big deal. Notice what it says in verse number nine, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, this was a big deal because two times a year in the priesthood, they would uh, uh, draw lots. Essentially, what that means is they would cast the dice. They would roll the dice, and if you got the lucky number, if you got the lucky lot, then it would be your job to go and do the big job two times a year, the big job in the temple. What was the big job in the temple? The big job was to go inside the holy place and to take some incense and to pour that incense on the altar, and there would be a sweet smell that would raise up in the altar. You would say a prayer and then you would walk out. And that was, that was considered the highest honor for a priest in that time. In fact, if, if you got that, if, if, the, if you rolled the dice and, and the dice uh, fell in your favor, that would, that would be considered to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Many priests never had the chance to do this. And if you did get the chance to do this, you were never allowed to do it again. And so this was like Super Bowl Sunday for a priest. This was the highest honor. This was their big moment. This was, uh, uh, was Zacharias's big day. And it says that this all happened, verse number nine, because it was his lot. Did you see it? his lot. And so we might be tempted to think, well, this was just happenstance. This was just kind of his lucky day then, just coincidence. But the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And so what that means is that, hey, we can roll the dice in life, but ultimately our God is in control. And what, what might look like a coincidence is actually God's providence. He is always in control, always orchestrating the affairs of men in this life. God's always in control. See, Zacharias had the lot uh, fall on him because God wanted it to fall on him. This was God ordaining and orchestrating this moment. He was about to take their burden and transform it into a blessing. And I just want you to know this morning that within the soil of every burden, there is a seed that's waiting to break through. Within the soil of every burden, there is a seed that is just waiting to break through. And maybe today all you can see is the dirt. Maybe all you can see is the dark. Maybe all you can see is the disappointment. But can I just remind you that our God is still in control and that he is the God of the breakthrough. And even when we can't see it, God can see what we cannot see. And his ways are not our ways and his timing is not our timing. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were about to have a breakthrough. And so it was now his moment. It was now his moment to go into the temple. Notice verse number 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. So Zacharias makes his way inside, and the people were waiting outside. Zechariah, the, uh, the priest, this only happened twice a year. He made his way inside on the screen as he makes his way into the temple. He makes his way into what's called the holy place. And when he goes into the holy place, before him is the holy of holies. Now, he couldn't go into the Holy of Holies because only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. There, there was a veil that was separating uh, him and entering into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was made manifest. But I want you to know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that veil was torn. And the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom because it was only a job that God could do. And when that veil was torn from top to bottom, we now have access to God. And so we don't have to wait for a priest and we don't have to go to a certain place. We can boldly approach the throne of grace and we can boldly go to God and find grace and help in our time of need because of the mediating work of Jesus Christ. 
And so as Zacharias makes his way into the holy place, I want you to imagine the scene. To his left would have been the golden candlestick, the menorah. To his right would have been the table of showbread. Right before him was the altar of incense. So he goes to the altar of incense and he takes that, he takes that incense, that sweet smelling sacrifice, and he poured it onto the coals and steam would arise in the air and he would pray. And I believe that he would pray for two things. I believe he prayed for the deliverance of the nation of Israel, that God would send the Messiah, the long-awaited one, to deliver them from the hands of Herod. And I also believe that he was praying for a child because he knew that even though he was old in years, there was precedent of God doing a miracle in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah. And maybe he was saying, God, just like you provided for Abraham and Sarah, would you provide for me and my wife? And so he pours the incense. By the way, incense is always a picture in Scripture of prayer. In fact, the Bible says this in Psalm 141, verse number 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And that tells us that, that when we pray before God, it's like a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God, that, that, that he loves to hear us pray, and he longs to hear from us. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to take your disappointment to the Lord and spend time praying uh, uh, to him because he longs to hear from you. And so we see that Zacharias and Elizabeth they didn't let disappointment steal their joy. But notice the second thief this morning. The second thief is delay. So often, delay wants to steal our joy. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse number 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. All of a sudden, kind of picture the scene. Uh, Zacharias is just like, this smells good in here. Wow. In the holy place. Whoa, who's that? There's an angel shows up right in that moment. You can think, well, that was fast, man. Uh, that angel just showed up uh, uh, right on time. But I want you to know that this angel, the arrival of the angel, marks an interesting notch in the biblical timeline because this was the first time that God spoke to his people in over 400 years. This was the first time that God delivered a revelation since the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. So from the time that, that, that God spoke to that prophet Malachi, there had been 400 years until this message was received. That's quite the delay, 400 years. And so not only were Zacharias and Elizabeth experiencing a delay because they wanted uh, to have a baby, but they couldn't have a baby, but also God's people were experiencing a great delay of 400 years waiting for the Messiah and waiting and longing to hear from God once again, so often the reason why we're lacking joy is because we can't stand the delay. We don't like to wait. Now, it's interesting. We'll wait for some things, right? We can wait for some things. I was reading. You might have seen there's a story this week uh, just on Wednesday. There was a group of people that went to uh, a Walmart in Troy, Michigan, because they, they heard that that Walmart had some PlayStation 5s. Did anybody read this story in the news this week? Uh, they went to this Walmart. They heard they had some PlayStation 5s. And so they, they slept and waited all night in the below freezing temperatures uh, to get a PlayStation 5. People were becoming upset with each other. A fight broke out. The police had to come and break up this fight. And then they discovered that that Walmart never had any PlayStation 5s to begin with. And so they were just out there waiting for nothing. See, we'll wait, we'll wait for certain things in life. If we know it's going to directly benefit us right now, we don't mind waiting. But why is it that it's so hard for us to wait on God? Why is it that when we, we are in the desert of delay, that our joy is lost? I believe that God will bring us to a season of delay for two reasons, and I, I believe we see them in the text. Uh, the first reason that God brings us to a season of delay is to reveal his power, to reveal his power. Notice it in verse number 12. 
And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And I just want to remind you today that God hears your prayers. And it might seem like, man, I don't know if my prayers are reaching. I don't know if this is working, but God hears your prayers. And the angel shows up and says, Zacharias, God has been listening and God has heard your prayer. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name John. And this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, the one that would be the forerunner of Christ, the one that would prepare the way in the coming of Christ. And so the angel says, hey, God has heard your prayer, and you are about to have a child. Now, uh, to have a child at their age, that would have been nothing short of a miracle, right? Because there was a delay, that delay was actually an opportunity to showcase the power of God. And so the delay actually ushered in God's glory, and the delay ushered in a miracle moment. See, Matthew Henry said this, we can depend on God to fulfill his promise even when all the roads leading to it are closed, even when it seems like there is no way, even when it seems like there's no way through and it's impossible to move forward. We serve the God of the impossible, the God of the breakthrough that says, I'll make a way even when there seems to be no way. And so now we see that God's power is revealed because this child was a miracle. Remember, everybody knew it. Everybody knew that Elizabeth couldn't have children. She carried with her the years of stigma and shame. And now the fact that she is about to have a baby, everyone would have known. This this was only God's doing. Only God could bring this to fruition. Verse 14 says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. I know that this has been a season of disappointment. I know that this has been a season of delay, but you are about to experience a joy that you've never felt before, and people all around you are going to rejoice with you, even in this moment. And so God often has us in a season of delay to reveal his power, but also to reveal his purpose. Can I just remind you this morning that God has a purpose for your life? He has a plan for your life. Sometimes we think, what does all of this really matter? And, you know, what am I really doing? What's, my, what's the point of living? And what is this really all about? But God has a purpose and a plan for your life before the foundation of the world. It's an eternal purpose. And we're about to see how, how John the Baptist, Zacharias, and Elizabeth's son had an eternal purpose. Notice it in verse number 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and this was uh, the custom of the Nazarite vow. So essentially what uh, the angel is saying is that John the baptizer is going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be holy and, and separated and consecrated before the Lord, and so he's going to follow these, these customs of a Nazarite. He will neither drink wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Watch this phrase. Even from his mother's womb. Even from his mother's womb. And so what we learn that according to Scripture, that life begins at conception. And this is not a political view. This is a biblical view. That God had a purpose and plan for John even before he was born. In fact, later on in this same chapter, in verse number 44, Elizabeth is talking with Mary, and it says this, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe, talking about her child, leaped in my womb for joy. And in the Greek, that word babe is the same word for child. So he was called a child in the womb. He was not called a tissue or an embryo. He was called a child. And so what we see is that God had a purpose and a plan and that John was named by God. He was called by God. He was set apart for ministry by God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit all while still in the belly. 
that God had a purpose and a plan for his life. I've heard this statement before that abortion is the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I lay down my life for you, but abortion says, you lay down your life for me. And I believe today that we worship uh, uh, the God of all grace and forgiveness. And, and there might be some that have had an abortion. I want to say there's grace available for you and there is a new beginning available for you as well. But we have to understand that life begins at conception. And the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Long before John was even born, God had a plan and a purpose for his life. His purpose continues in verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And so he was going to be a preacher. He was going to turn people to the Lord, uh, his God. Verse 16, it says this in verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I want to make a specific point here briefly. And that is that Luke's gospel is the most natural segue from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I believe it's worth worth noting that Luke's gospel picks up right where uh, the Old Testament ends, 400 years earlier. If you read the last verses of the Old Testament in Malachi, it says this in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn, watch this phrase, turn the heart of the father's to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite thee, uh, smite the earth with a curse. Silence. That, that was the last thing that was ever spoken. That was the last promise. I'm going to send Elijah. And then we come to Luke's gospel. And the angel says, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn their hearts and the fathers to the children. And so Luke's gospel and the angel picks it right up where Malachi ends. And he says, this is going to be the one that would prepare the way for the Messiah. John is going to be the forerunner of Christ. Imagine being Zacharias there in the holy place. He thought that his big moment was to spritz a little bit of perfume on the coals. But then the angel showed up and started to say, hey, I have some big plans for your life. And you have no idea what I'm about to do in your life. You're going to have a child. And not only will you have a child, he will be the forerunner. He will be the one to prepare the way for the child, the birth of Jesus Christ, the one that would be the savior of all of humanity. Can I tell you this morning that God's plans are always better than your plans? And you might have a good five-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 20-year plan, but God's plans are always the best. And we might be like Zacharias and think, I know what I'm going to do. This is going to be my moment. And God says, hey, you haven't seen anything yet. That's good. So we see Zacharias has his breakthrough even in the delay. This leads us to the third thief. Are you ready for it? The third thief is the thief of doubt. And so what steals our joy? Well, a season of disappointment, a season of delay, but also a spirit of doubt. Notice, notice the doubt that Zacharias demonstrates in verse number 18. Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. He says, I don't know about this. I don't know if this can actually come to fruition. I'm really old. And I think it's interesting that Zacharias had uh, faith to pray for a miracle, but he didn't have the faith to receive the miracle when it arrived. He said, God, I want to have a baby. And then uh, the angel said, your prayer is answered. You're going to have a baby. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if this can actually come to fruition. And he he doubts. But I love Gabriel's response. Notice it. Verse 19. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show you these glad 
tidings. Gabriel's like, come on, pull it together, Zacharias. Let's review for a second. You've been praying for decades for a child. An angel shows up on your lucky day to pour the incense on the altar and says, hey, the Lord has answered your prayer. We're standing in the presence of God. I'm an angel. Like, what other evidence do you need? Like, notice the wings here. I'm an angel. Uh, Your prayer has been answered. But then the angel goes on in the next verse and says this, verse 20, and behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be speechless because you doubted. See, Zacharias was focusing on his limitations rather than focusing on the power of God. How often do we do the same thing? Where we are focusing on what we can't do rather than focusing on what God can do. We're focusing on our problem and not the power of God. And I was thinking about this, that you can block out the light and the power of the sun that is 93 million miles away with an object as small as a quarter, right? All the power and the light of the sun, you can block it out if you just take that quarter and you just hold it all the way up to your eye. If you hold it all the way up to your eye and cover your eye, that's going to block out the light. And so often we are focusing on the size of our problems and we fail to see the power and the promises of God. And we're saying, man, the coronavirus is so bad. And man, uh, this, this situation at my work is so bad. And this relationship is so hard. And, and man, uh, this is such a financial struggle. And we're focusing on the problem, but we fail to recognize that we worship the God who spoke the universe into existence. The God that can raise the dead back to life. The God that can move the mountains. Hey, the scripture still says there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And so often we're like Zacharias and we're just focusing on the problem, my age, rather than focusing on the promise of God. Corey Ten Boom said this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Hey, as we embark uh, on this journey in 2021, let's enter this new year with a little bit of faith. Let's start believing that God can do the impossible again. And let's, start, let's stop looking at the size of our problems and start looking at the size of our God and believe that his word will come to pass. And so now Zacharias is speechless. By the way, unbelief produces silence. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak. A lot of times we're not speaking because there's doubt and unbelief in our heart. And we're not sharing our faith as we should. We're not standing for truth as we should because we're carrying and holding on to unbelief belief. Notice verse number 22. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And so Zacharias comes out of the holy place. Everyone's been waiting. You know, what's been taking so long? They've been out there praying and waiting for him. He finally comes out and he can't speak. They're like, what happened? He's just trying to motion with his hands. And and, uh, they're kind of confused as to what's taking place. And then it says in verse number 23, and it came to pass that as soon as the days of of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And so now, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they head home. And I think that uh, the next nine months would have been interesting in their household, right? Zacharias couldn't speak for nine months. And so I think that was actually a blessing for Elizabeth. She won every single argument for the next nine months. Like, no matter what was going on, Zacharias couldn't even defend himself. And, uh, and so, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they head home. And this leads us to our fourth and final thief. Are you ready today? The fourth and final thief that wants to steal your joy is the thief of disapproval. Disapproval. Notice verse 24. It says this, 
And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away, everybody say, take away. away. Leave it in the chat online today, to take away. The Lord wanted to take away something. What did he want to take away? To take away my reproach among men. See, Elizabeth was living with the reproach of men. She was living a shamed life in a life of disapproval. Because for years, Elizabeth's joy was under attack because she couldn't have children. And so there was that constant stigma and that constant shame that went with her wherever she went. For 30, 40, maybe 50 years, she dealt with disapproval from others. They were always talking about her. She's probably living in sin. Her and Zacharias probably have some skeletons in their closet or something. She knew all about the dirty looks, the fake smiles, the condescending attitudes, the gossip about her. She lived with the disapproval of men, that reproach, and she carried it. So often, our joy is wrapped up in the approval or disapproval of others. We live in a culture that longs to be liked. You know, we want the acceptance of others. We want people to affirm us and to like us and to follow us on social media. We want people to give us affirmation. And we so often live for the approval of men. And then when we don't get it, it allows our joy to be robbed from us. And then our joy, all of a sudden, the key to our joy is given to someone else. And now they hold the keys to our joy. If there's anything that I've learned in my ministry is that I can't please everybody. And that when I try to please people, I'm always let down. But if I just set my sights on pleasing my Savior, if I just say, you know what, I'm going to live for the approval and the audience of one, then my joy remains intact. And so we can stop seeking the approval of everyone around us and start living for the audience of one. As long as God is good, my family's good, and the counselors and close people in my life are good, then I'm good. But I love how Elizabeth says, that God has been kind to me and he's chosen to to take away this reproach. He's going to take it away. Don't you love that? He's going to take away that shame. He's going to take away that stigma. Can I tell you, that's exactly why Jesus came to earth. He came down to earth to take away our sin, to take away our shame, to abolish our shame, to abolish our sin once and for all. That's why he came. And so today, if you are carrying the baggage of of your past and you are carrying with you some shame, if you're carrying with you the disapproval of men, just know that Jesus came to set you free from that. Jesus came to give you life and liberty and joy found in him. This is why when Jesus started preaching and he went to Nazareth and he preached there in the synagogue that day, this is what he said. In fact, as I read this verse, would you join me in standing today? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. Jesus says, that's why I have arrived. That's the purpose of Christmas that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and to set us free from that which has bruised us and that which has crippled us. Jesus came to provide healing and hope and restoration. He says, that's why I've come. I believe that all of this text, all these verses that we read today really point us to Jesus. 
Jesus is our great high priest. Zacharias might have been the priest, but Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God without blemish and without spot. He died in your place and in my place. He is our perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so we don't have to go to someone else to pray and go to someone else to get right with God. We can go straight to God because of Jesus. Maybe today you can relate to Zacharias. Maybe there's a little bit of disappointment in your life today, or maybe there's some doubt in your life today, and you can relate to Zacharias. Maybe today you can relate to Elizabeth, and you're carrying with you shame, and you feel broken on the inside, and you've been hurt by the reproach of men. But I want to encourage you. You can anchor your joy to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose, only upon the beloved who will never pass away. Jesus said, hey, you can live your life in such a way that your joy is anchored and you can say with confidence, nobody can take my joy from me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.